Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Welcome to part two of Neelam's interview with Scott Brills, an international entrepreneur and adventure capitalist making a living in the travel and tourism space. Now, in part one, we heard how a childhood desire to travel taught him to seize opportunities and stay focused on passion. We dove into how Scott is focused on business despite not traveling due to the pandemic and touched on how silent meditation taught him how much he was or wasn't in control of his own mind. Now, you can hear part one on episode six of Words and Voices. In part two of the interview, Scott talks about some of his experiences in Japan and learning the language, his plans for future travel, and the encouragement to find satisfaction in what you are doing. Determination, all of these are different factors, right? But there are moments where it's not just the questioning of, is this going to happen? It's really more about it's not external anymore. It's all about focused on the vision. It's focused on what it is that you're trying to build, what it is that you're trying to create. And I remember a girl asking me, and this was when I'd made the decision to leave. I'd gone to Austin. I'd just, I was just taking my first trip into Asia in February of 2017. I remember this girl, she's just out of, because I'd given up my apartment already in New York. So I was subletting for a few weeks till I flew. And I remember her asking, and she was a pre-med student, if I'm not mistaken. And she asked me, she, she, I, I remember this entire frame, okay? Like it was happening right now. A small kitchen, it's New York City. I walked out of the room I was in and she asked me just straight to my face because she was hearing me on the phone and I just stepped out after I got done. And she says, Mila, what if you fail? <laughs> and you know what was funny? I'm, I'm being very genuine right now. I, I usually am. But like, seriously, I just looked at her and I was like, I haven't considered that as an option. <laughs> I've just not, I mean, what do you mean? What will you, like, I'll do something else. If this doesn't work, I'll do something else. I don't know what this is yet, right? In the way you're expressing your journey, you started at 19. At 19, I think I was fairly entrepreneurial-y, but I wasn't really focusing on it the way I could have, right? And I'm not going to say that that was last time because I think a lot of my experiences actually bode well for me to do my own thing now in my life versus at 19. So going back to that moment for me when she said, what if you fail? And I was like, that's not an option. That I don't mean, and when I said that, I did not mean that I'm going to be successful. It's going to be perfect. I didn't mean it like that. I was like, well, I haven't even considered that. Do you know what I mean? Like it was not even in my thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's, there's two people in the world, right? It's like one, it's like always scared. They need the comfort, you know, and they, they need something stable and whatnot. And there's like a lot of people like that. And I used to kind of look down on that just because that's not how I'm wired, but that's fine. You know, like if it makes you happy, that's great. Whereas, you know, for me, I'm, I'm like, those people are more risk averse and I'm more like looking for <laughs> risk, but like, you know, for the people like you that there's one thing where it's like, okay, you're 19, you're fresh, you don't have like a lot of money or you don't really have like a partner or children or a house with a mortgage and car payments and stuff like that. So a lot of people are say, you know, would say to me over the years, wow, like it's so impressive that you decided at 19 to do that and blah, blah, blah. And 
yeah, it may not be normal, but I have much respect for people that like, you know, have something good going and they got the money coming in and they got that rent, you know, the apartment and whatnot. And then they decide to give it up and, you know, they quit the job, they put all their stuff in storage, sell their things, like go on the road. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that even now, even being not so risk averse, I'm like, wow, like that's, that takes some guts. You know, that's, that's tough. <laughs> I, I never had to go through that because I started so early and it's just kind of like the way I grew up into adulthood. But yeah, for the people that already have it made, you know, they've got, you know, you kind of like the golden handcuffs kind of thing where you got like, they got the money. And then as you have the money coming in, your lifestyle kind of expands to fit the money, right? At least that's, especially in the Western world, that's what happens. And then you can kind of get the golden handcuffs thing where it's like, oh man, like I've got all these expenses and all these responsibilities. Like, how am I ever supposed to just like quit the job? Cause then I'm gonna have to give all this up. I'm not gonna have to make, I'm not gonna be able to make my payments. You know, that kind of thing. Like that's a level that I've really never had to deal with because I, I started early and just kind of like grew very slowly, very slowly into like, I guess you could term it success. But, you know, for me, it's it's never success. It is always some next level to reach. Not like in a depressing, horrible way but that you kind of hear about sometimes with like business owners or like drug addicts or something. <laughs> Well, I think what you're referring to is like discontentment, right? Mm, like, right. so it's more of a drive, like a positive drive. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree with you. I think even just with the podcast too, the reason why it came about, I've talked about this earlier. We've talked about it privately too. It really came from a perspective of, am I doing that thing that makes me full, like mm. fulfilled? Does it let me do a version of my art, my contribution in the world in a different way? And also being the introvert that I am, do I need to be on video? Can I just do audio <laughs> instead? It, it all works out well. That, but that, that's not even comfort, right? Like as entrepreneurs we're, or as people who are just constantly exploring, trying different things, building new things from scratch, ground up, we don't really think about, hey, is this going to be successful? Mm. Is my time going to be wasted? And I really don't think that's the parameter with which yeah. any of us evaluate the things that we do. What a fail. Like, I, that's always in the back of my head. Like, I know it's a possibility. And I've had things fail, definitely. I've had companies fail. I've had projects fail, like many of those. Like I said, I, I kind of went the path of learning as I go along. And with that comes a lot of failure and mistakes. But I'm not afraid, or I'm afraid sometimes. Like, I'm not super afraid of making mistakes to the point where I'm not going to try. Yeah. Uh, I'm not afraid of failure because I've already failed a bunch of times. So what's another one, right? So, you know, I mean, it brings me back to the original question you asked. I never answered is, was there ever a time where it just like clicked and you're like, ah, oh, like the, the clouds open, the sun shines on you and you're like, ah, oh, this is it. Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. I kind of feel like I've just been like stumbling through it. They're like yeah. entrepreneurship and whatnot. And like, oh, this, this thing comes up. Yeah, I try to keep an open social network and keep my ability to take on projects I'm interested in doing open, mm. not get so caught up in anything in particular where I'm not able to pursue a new opportunity. And, and some people would poo-poo that and be like, oh, you got to keep head down, focus on one thing at a time and whatnot. But that's just not how my brain is. Some people are wired for that, like, and they're generally very successful and I'm a little bit envious of it. But for me, I'm more the entrepreneurial ADD where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of this project, this project in my free time, I'm going to do that. Just because like, I like to do stuff that I'm interested in. There's only one of me, there's only 24 hours a day, and there's only one lifetime that we for sure know about. And so I want to cram as much in as possible. And, and fullness is not about like keep making yourself busy. And even the things that you would take on, I'd imagine, 
are things that you space out in the right way so that you know you're able to manage them, even though they may seem sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not so well. That's a constant challenge. Yeah. Was a hashtag FOMO is like a real thing for you? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that, that's not even including the the FOMO part of it. Which oh, there you luckily go. for luckily for this year, it's a little bit tempered, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about how does that entrepreneurial drive tie into being that philanthropist and making sure that you're contributing. It seems like you've always kind of known it. You may not be implementing it right away in your business when you first started, because, you know, obviously trying to figure things out, even like making a small payment to somebody to do a design for you can be so difficult yeah. to promote like your product or whatever it might have been. Yeah, that's, that's how I learned how to do everything on my own because I didn't have the money to spend to, to pay someone else to do it. I used a little bit of my savings to help with that. When, oh, when savings? I, wow, lucky. <laughs> I, I pulled in like uh, sweat equity in corporate America. So I had a little oh, bit. I, believe it. I know you put in your time. I put it my time. How does that factor in? Is it one of the things? So I'm just going to add a couple of things here as well as you're thinking about this. For me, Asia happened at the right time. Mm. And I think being in Asia, and I'm not trying to say the West or because I still have my Western like kind of way of life or outlook to some extent, but I also have, for me, it's heritage too, right? I am of Indian origin. And coming here initially was you know, you and I talk about a little bit here and there, like, you know, communication styles are a bit different. Things are different here. But for me, the balance came from Asia. Mm. My speaking career and my youth-led initiatives that I do are primarily focused on this continent, right? And then, of course, when I'm back home, I'll do things there, of course. So one part is the generosity, the giving back has, has been something you've just naturally done and the second part of it is do you think a little bit of that little touch point in asia or that asia connection helped a little bit with that because culturally that's very different i mean i lived in new york right so i really know the material grind right like the materialistic superficial mm -hmm. grind and being in the ad business i've seen it all i've you know five thousand dollar sushi and you know client <laughs> entertainment we, we, you know, I was very in the American. No, but not just very, that. Very corporate. <laughs> yes, very corporate New York, America. And, and yeah. this was in the heyday of sort of advertising slash pharma world. So we have done that. And you can get reality twisted very quickly in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, Asia is critical in my journey. Mm -hmm. it, it's not something I can ever uh, discount. And not, I'm not just talking about being in India. I'm talking about the other parts of the, the, the Asian continent that I've gotten to explore. You've, you've done more than me, for sure. Does that play into it as well for you? I wouldn't say that mine came from that. It definitely wasn't uh, built into me, like, from birth at all. It was typical, like, American style, like, look out for number one. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when you're starting up your business, you know, you've got to really... Like you're the only person that's going to make that happen. So you really got to look yeah. out for it. But I would say as of uh, joining the biggest catalyst for that, at least for the the things that are out there as far as being publicized, if you've known about right on the website or other places would be joining Rotary, Rotary International wow. in uh, 2007, 2008, and uh, just meeting a great group of people that had enough for themselves that they wanted to give back to the local community and to projects abroad mm. and being around them a lot, especially in those years, uh, like 2007 through 2012, let's say, you know, it's very, very, I'm still, I'm still a member today, but 
during that time, I really got into it. I ended up being the, the district chairperson for like the technology community and you know, putting my skills to good use, like uh, helping them out with technology and ended up being the president of my club a few years after joining. So yeah, like being around it, it's kind of like um, what we were talking about with like entrepreneurship. If you're not around it all, it seems weird. Should I do this? You know, how do I do it? Like, yeah, there's no, there's no examples of it or whatnot. Yeah, but then when you're around it, it's part of your environment it becomes normalized and you figure that stuff out and you can talk to people about it and see what they're doing and whatnot. And so I would say, you know, like the, the kindergarten that I helped outfit in Mongolia and that whole drive. And then I did a drive down from UK to Cape town and a few years later in 2012 and also the, the rickshaw journeys, auto rickshaw journeys I did around India. Uh, most of that, or at least in, in part, was for Rotary. Like I would raise money for local causes or connect with Rotarians on the ground. And generally, like, especially in the U.S., it's an older crowd, you know, because you have to have the time and, and money and, and whatnot to give back. But uh, I found out in some of the other countries, it's excuse a little bit younger, which was nice because yeah, I was used to being the person in my own Rotary Club that was like 40 years younger than everyone since I joined right at the minimum age, which was 25. So that was interesting, you know, seeing how they did things in other countries. But yeah, meeting people like Rotarians around the world and whatnot was really cool. And seeing like what the change that they made in their own communities and abroad was pretty awesome. So that kind of brought the philanthropic mindset into me is, is being around it and seeing what good it could do. I love that. That's just amazing. I saw it growing up. I saw my parents do certain things with giving and my mom, especially, I think. Uh, and, you know, being in Africa, you do have help around you and how she treated people and mm. just and, and that's probably obviously civility but then it also imbibed like this kind of understanding of contributing or giving and not keeping things to yourself so <laughs> mm, yeah right but then as you become an adult you you see things a bit differently you start you know the experiences that you have are very independent than what that sort of uh, secure structured environment gives you growing up mm -hmm. did you like school I didn't hate it. I didn't like, well, I mean, I hated like getting up early in the morning and hated homework. But yeah. as far as like the whole concept of school and my time there, I was, I was more or less ambivalent about it. Like, you know, grade school, I was fine. And then middle school started to get a little bit more dicey. In high school, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm just like waiting till my, my time is up. It wasn't <laughs> something that I loved. It wasn't even something I really like particularly excelled at, especially like math. You know, I always had a hard time with. So it was very much like a, a, not an awakening, but like a, just kind of like you're, you're free. Once I was done with that and, you know, I got to college and college was uh, also, I wasn't super into it. I did pretty decently GPA wise, but again, like I was going through college just to get that degree so I could go over to Japan and teach English. I was just like kind of checked out. I did a lot of my classes at a commuter school, so I didn't really have the live on campus life. I would go every week into my friends' places in uh, MSU, Michigan State University and party there. So I, I did actually get the experience of it at least because I would spend like every weekend <laughs> over there, drive an hour to Lansing, Michigan and, and go and hang out with them. But uh, yeah, I was just school for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, not a huge um, structured learning person, but uh, I do admit that it helps sometimes, especially like learning the basics of a language and whatnot and having that structure as far as like you have to study this much time and you have to do this homework and you know this many hours uh, of class 
uh, every Tuesday and Thursday or something like that. I think that that helped me a lot as, as far as like learning Spanish, learning Japanese, whereas I've tried to learn other languages just on my own with like YouTube videos or a book or like even back in the day, like on CD. And I could never get myself to do it. It's, it's like it, it helps a lot, I guess you could just say, to make that commitment. You know, whether it's a time commitment, money commitment, you know, both that helps a lot, you know, as far as getting the foundation. And then once you got that foundation, of course, just like I did, especially with Japanese, you can just go out into the field and then learn through osmosis, through through use and whatnot. I think I would learn that way too. I wouldn't be able to do just pure. I liked French for that, but I struggled mm -hmm. with, with not being in the right environment. Otherwise, it would, have, it would have definitely stuck. How long did it take you to learn Japanese? I took a year, so like... Um, two half-year courses in high school, my senior year, after two years of Spanish in which I got like basically straight C's. So I was <laughs> like, oh, maybe I'm not a language person, you know, like a lot of people say that, maybe it's not a language person. But just like my buddy, Benny, the Irish polyglot from uh, Fluent in Three Months, he teaches people to learn languages for a living and he knows 12 fluently. And he's always like, yeah, that's, that's just a bunch of BS. Like, you know, anybody can learn a language. So he like teaches some people to learn it. And the number one tip is use it. <laughs> right, Ex exactly. Because we were taught, again, theory, like certain educational systems don't work like the American education system, where you, American education system, for what it's worth in this conversation, at least I'll tell you, it was seen for its applicability, especially for people who are sending their kids into the United States to study, right? Because most countries, like if you look at Asia, it's very theoretical. Things are changing here too, no doubt. But I think even for French, I felt like if I was in that environment, I think I would have just organically just started speaking, could have watched. I think that's exactly how I am as far as like, it's more out of necessity than anything. Like I want to be able to communicate with people. So especially if I'm in a place like that's not a capital city, you know, where like you can't get by on English and mm. it really drives me to learn the language very quickly yeah. in some cases, like how I learned, um, especially like Turkish when I was over there, I learned a little bit of Turkish because like there's people just didn't know English and I couldn't get by with English. You know, if you can get by with English, it's a great excuse not to learn the language. And I know a lot of people that have lived in a foreign country for many, many years and can only say the most basic of things, you know, it's because yeah. they didn't try, you know, but for me, it's like, okay, I took some class. I took high school classes to learn very basic Japanese. And I went over to Japan right after that. And like, oh, I'm the shit. I know Japanese. Whereas like half the people I was studying with didn't know any. And like, it's a funny story that the first night out, me and the other guys in our, our group, maybe like me and seven other people were walking along the street in our random town of uh, Otsu, Shiga, Japan. And they're like, hey, we want to find some beer. And I'd never even had beer before. I'm like, okay, I'll go with you. And we went, this came out, I was, I was 18 years old. And uh, they're like, Scott, find beer for us. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, they didn't teach me how to find bars in high school. Okay, that makes sense. So I would just like, we walked for like a half a mile. And then I saw a taxi stand near a supermarket. And I was like, okay, how do I do this? I know how to say beer. Okay. So I went over to the taxi guy and I was like, excuse me, basically, where is the beer? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, which means like beer, where is it? You know, he thought I said another word, which is beer, which without the extended E, and which just means building. And he's like, what building? And I knew enough to be like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, beer. He's like, oh, like if you just like head across the street, you'll find like a bunch of bars over there. And at that point, I was like, ah, I'm not even sure of this. And I went home and the rest of them went on to like have the night of their lives. So <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't too confident about it, but um, 
I learned everything as far as, you know, beyond the basics, you know, this is how you write the letters. This is how you conjugate the sentences and whatnot. Everything outside of that, for the most part, I learned just by living in Japan, interacting with people. I did not hang around for the most part, other English speakers. I would just like make Japanese friends, hang out with them, go to these spots where nobody's speaking English and just use it. And honestly, for the, and you may know it, you know, learn, trying to learn other languages too. When you, you're at this point where you, you know enough to be dangerous, but you can't really have a conversation. And you know, you, you can understand more than you can speak, but it's tough if at that point, when you're trying to have a conversation, you keep being like, oh, excuse me, sorry, can you say that again? Oh, can, can you say that slower? Well, people aren't gonna put up with that. Like, it's like strangers, they're not, they'll just be like, okay, I'm gonna leave or like talk to someone else or whatnot. So what I would do is just become very good at reading body language and whatnot and mimicking, right? Because you, unconsciously mimic the person you're talking to if you know things are going good and you want this to keep going and whatnot you'll unconsciously mimic them so they'd laugh i'd laugh they would like make some some hand movement or whatnot and i would do the same and you know i wouldn't even really do it i would say consciously but i realized later on what i was doing and so through this i was able to kind of understand the gist of the conversation like maybe 50 percent, and i could most of the time people just want to talk they want you to listen and so I became a really good listener, even if I didn't understand half of it. And just gradually over time being there, I was like, oh, like I'm understanding more of the conversation, more of the conversation. And in turn, I could respond more and I could actually get to the point after, honestly, like I was good with intonation. I always been good with intonation. I could always mimic sounds and whatnot. But even that first year of living there, I remember talking with some Japanese people that, you know, didn't baby me as far as the conversation. Like they would just talk mm -hmm. to me like a Japanese person. And that was great because then I learned like how it sounds and how to have a real conversation outside of the classroom. Uh, it's not, you know, where's the bathroom? The bathroom, you go straight to the right, you know, something like that. So I, I really don't remember until after that first year when I went back the next year just to work at a ski lodge and to visit some friends where I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm getting this now. And in the meantime, I took one more class in university just to kind of keep things oiled in my brain. So yeah, it was just, it's all about, you know, you say, how long did it take to learn Japanese? This is my extended answer. You know, it's like, I'm still learning it. Every time I go over there, I learn new words. I feel more confident, at least after the first few days of, you know, getting back into the swing of things. You know, when did I sound fluent? I remember six months in, someone passed their phone to like say, hey, say hi to my friend. And I had like a short conversation with them. They passed back and they're like, oh yeah, that was a foreigner. And the guy was like, what? Like, I didn't even know he was a foreigner. So I was able to speak, I was able to capture the intonation, but you know, it's multi-part learning process as far as, you know, there's a lot of different things to learn. So you say like, oh, how, how long did it take you to learn it? Well, it's like what part? And each part is at a different level. And of course, you're always, as anybody that know, you know, that has learned languages um, in adulthood, especially knows that you're always learning more. Yeah. And conversation, like you said, always help. Intonation is the critical bit there, I think, because that's very easy to not pay as much attention to because you'd, you'd be thinking about structure and communication and trying to get your point across. And then, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. You know what clicks? What I hear two things. One is when you dream in that language, mm -hmm. which I also did about six months in, I think. Wow. And then number two is when you're not thinking about it, you can just be like, ah you know, like reply. You don't have to think about how am I going to say that? Is this conjugated in the right order and whatnot? Like you just say it. You might still make mistakes, but you don't really have to consciously think about what you're going to say before you say it, just as you do in your native tongue. 
Totally. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I feel like that about Hindi sometimes because <laughs> I mean, I, but I've learned Hindi. This is truth. Watching Bollywood movies. That's how I learned it. Hmm. And that's how, my, uh. yeah. So my accent, when I speak Hindi, I have a bit of an accent, like, but when I speak it for three or four days continuously, or I'm, I'm in an environment, then I really, I really yes. don't get it messed up. It's, it's there. It's, um, Again, your brain has to rewire because sometimes you have to gear. Yeah, yeah. Your first gear, second gear, and then like eventually yeah. you're running smooth. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, f- I feel like that about Hindi, and, but I learned it that way. And now that I'm in India and I'm doing every now and then I'm on Twitter or something like that. Now I have posts because it picks up my location. I see posts now written in Hindi, so I'm trying to also read it at the same time. Much slower, of course. I can't read an entire newspaper or like like I can't mm. read it the way I would read English, obviously, right? But I think it's important to train the mind to do different things. And even if it might mean like writing a sentence once every other day in with your left hand versus your right hand. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to say everyone should challenge themselves that way, but I think it's a matter of perspective. It's also about like, if you take the same path to go to work every day, how about changing that up once in a while? And just that could create some sort of, you know, creative shift or possibly generate some sort of yeah i don't know what but learning a language there's always gonna be those people that are just like what you're crazy you know like i'm happy doing things as they've always been done and i'm safe and i got my paycheck and i got this and you know i got a cozy home and whatnot you know like there's always gonna be people like that it? and, and it's it's great because like the world needs people like we need, that we absolutely do each to their own so i have two questions for you now before we wrap up so london to mongolia the UK to South Africa, 11,000 miles in a rickshaw all across India. I'm sure you have other, other destinations in mind. So the first question is, if you are willing to disclose one of your bucket list items, or what would you dream of doing? Like, How about maybe I ask it differently? Maybe in 2021, what trip would you make across continents and what would it entail? Is space an option? <laughs> yes, yes. Working on it, as we all know. Yeah, that, that's probably more more later stage, you know, because the price has to come down and whatnot. But uh, terrestrially, um, mm-hmm. I've got three trips planned. One is to redo the Mongol Rally, except for this time. So it's, it's driving from the UK to Mongolia for charity. Except for last time when I did it, I lost my car. And I lost my buddy, not, he didn't die, but um, he ran out of money, ran out of time. So he left. I had to hitchhike my way to Mongolia. It's a long story. We should have been talking about that. (laughs) I'll bring you back. (laughs) You come back. Uh, So so then I've always felt like I had some unfinished business Mm because I didn't make it um, in my car with with my partner. And so I'd love to go back, not only to like succeed in doing that, but also to find my car, and funny enough, I know exactly where it is still, and it's still running, and also to find the kid that, he's not a kid anymore, he's an adult, but uh, Imam Dad, who helped us out, him and his family helped us out when our car broke down, and I'd love to go back and meet them again in uh, Korog, Tajikistan. Then there's one other thing too, but I forget what it was. Anyway, there's, there's multiple reasons to do it. I also got some friends in Ulaanbaatar I'd love to see again. And then also, besides that, uh, Trans-American, highway so going from the north tip of alaska or or canada and driving all the way down about sixteen thousand miles to the tip of ushuaia so the tip of uh, argentina and that's definitely on the list probably a little bit further out but then also 
I want to do a separate Africa drive, which is again starting in the UK or, or maybe Europe and driving down to probably Cape Town again or vice versa, but going through West Africa because I don't have any experience in West Africa with the exception of Morocco, which you know isn't sub-Saharan Africa, which is really where I want to go. So I know you've got some experience there. Um, I'll be hitting so, you up for contact. I was, you know, uh, Scott, <laughs> I was actually just going to say this, that if you're going through West Africa, you have to ask. And then I thought that if yeah. I'm going to say that, you're going to be like, Neelam, I know people around the world. So I, I was no, I'm glad you brought that up. It's kind of that the blank spot on the map for me in many ways, right? So uh, that's why, of course, like I said, if I haven't been somewhere, I want to go there. I've definitely wanted to go to some of these places for a long time. Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria. I've been invited to a bunch of times and I've never been to yet. I got you for Nigeria. (laughs) (laughs) Nigeria is probably the place I have the most connections, but I will not uh, decline your offer uh, (laughs) because Nigeria is a, a pretty big country. So uh, yeah, like that's definitely so. Those three, and of course, I've got other trips here and there. But as far as like overland, like long distance trips, you know, where it takes like a year to plan it out, and you have to get all the, this paperwork done and visas and whatnot. I love those because it really takes me out of my comfort zone and it puts you in a um, scenario where it's you, possibly you know your partner you're driving with and, and your car, and if anything happens, there's no recourse. You've got to figure it out. There's nobody you can call or whatnot. You know, you're sitting there with your engine fuming on the side of a mountain road, which has happened to me multiple times. And you're like, okay, yeah, the sun's going down. It's getting cold out. What do I do? You know, and and I like being put in that situation every so often just because I think I'm privileged to live a pretty comfortable life otherwise as far as, uh, you know, every aspect. And so it's nice to not only get a little bit of that for yourself as far as like uh, uncertainty and, and figuring out what you want to do, even though it's your choice to do it, but also to see the world, see how people live, interact with people, you know, just gain that knowledge and experience. And so that's that's why I really love doing those kinds of trips. It's a kind of meditation in itself, isn't it? It's a different type of meditation because you're really in tune mm-hmm. with who you are in that moment and how you I mean, how you converse with yourself to whether it is get out of the situation or whatever it is, because like the flight, it's the fight and flight syndrome, right? Like what? what yeah, your senses, your senses are at a very different place than they would be at home or in your own country or speaking your own language and, and that thing. You know, you're in a different country you've never been to. You don't speak the language. You don't know the people or the customs. Your car is broken. You can't talk to people. You know, what are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> do you quit or do you find a way to go on? <laughs> I, I wish you'd. And even, even quitting the problem sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought if you'd say who you're going to call, I was going to definitely say Ghostbusters. We so. <laughs> were like, wait. <laughs> okay. So then I have one one sort of last question for you is, what do you think, well, I'm going to break it into two parts because I want to get your perspective on this. One, what would you say to somebody who is, whether it is starting their own enterprise or going on that trip, or they're thinking of contributing, what would you say to that person? That How should they think about any, they're obviously different things, but what kind of mental headspace do you think, mindset that should they be in when they're making these choices? And the second question is, what do you think, one word, that humanity needs most right now? It's tricky because like I said, we were talking about earlier as far as everyone's so different mentally and otherwise, it's tricky, like I feel weird, like, giving any advice or any anything that would work for me because it probably wouldn't necessarily work in the same 
way for other people. But let's say they're just hesitating. Let's say they're just hesitating, fear. Or... But then I'm thinking like maybe they're the type of person that's very risk averse and, you know, that's just their thing, you know, and it doesn't matter how I say or you say they should think. They, they, it's not going to change their innate thinking, you know, the way their brain operates. You know, for me, it's very natural. I don't have to get into a particular headspace, you know? Mm. And so that's why it's tricky to be like, you know, I'm not like, you know, getting in the zone or zenning out or whatnot. Like I just, it just happens. Cause like, that's just natural for my brain. Exactly. So that's why it's like, it's tricky. Like I would say, do what makes you happy is pretty trite, but I would say, do what you think is right for yourself. <laughs> so it's pretty amorphous advice right there. But, uh, you know, I think it's, for some things in life, you're either going to do it or you're not. There are times where people like push on through because of some sort of stimuli or whatnot that, you know, and it, and it gets them to do this thing where they otherwise wouldn't do it. And sometimes they even love it and it changes them forever and whatnot. Hmm. And I've had a few things like that happen to myself, you know, things that I didn't mean for it to happen or I didn't plan on it, but it happened and somehow it changes your way of thinking and, and doing things. But like I said, you're not thinking of doing, you're not planning it out. You're not expecting it. It just kind of happens. It's this moment of like satori, you know, like this like yes. awakening, right? So I love that word, by the way. I can't believe you used that word. How do you see it with a Japanese accent? Because I'll say satori, and I know that's not right. Satori. 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 Okay. That's what I think I could say about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it really answers your question or not, but like that's just my thoughts on it. And then um, for part two, I would say. Um, Tolerance slash understanding in many ways. Yeah. And just knowing that we're all humans, all struggling with our own challenges. We're all living on the same earth and you have to understand. And, and this is something that international travel really makes poignant is that everyone's human. It doesn't matter skin color or your religion or where you live or how much money you make like everyone's got basically like the same exact challenges at a certain level and you know if people like understood that instead of like saying like oh you're my enemy because of this religion or you're this color or you support this political party to take a step back and see each other as fellow humans on the same planet Oh my God. That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? And you and I will always be friends no matter what our skin color is, how we speak, how we sound, what adventures we go on. But I loved having you here and thank you for taking the time with us. And I know you'll be back for more. I'm definitely wanting to hear. Yes, there's going to be so much for you to share with us. It's going to be very interesting to see how 2021 turns out for everybody, of course, and, and to watch this journey that you are on, especially with these trips that you, you make in particular, because there is a big part of this where you are contributing to those, uh, those places that you're traveling to, especially. So I obviously am going to always wish you luck. I'm always going to be on your side. And I can't wait for you to come back on, on this after a little while, after you've accomplished some of these trips and tell us all about it. <laughs> and now the next time you're here, we're definitely talking about We'll probably go into a little more like details into what those trips really were like and what those moments felt like. I think people would love wanting to hear about that. Yeah, yeah, that's always the uh, 
the number one favorite whenever I give like live talks <laughs> is, you know, people are like, wow, like that is a crazy story, you know, and that honestly, like that's part of the reason why I do it is to have those crazy stories. <laughs> so it, it's, it's good to be able to share them with people. I, I don't know where I heard this, but then you, and it, it's probably coming through something I saw on social media and um, someone said that their mom gave them advice that be proud of, of a life you live where you have stories to tell about the life you live. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> and then I suppose hopefully, hopefully more, more good stories than bad sure, ones, more stories sure. of happiness. <laughs> <through> and, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But it was, it's such a simple thought because I think I've always resonated with, I think you and I are so similar in some of these things where we've just naturally been very curious. We wanted to see the world at a very young age. I actually knew even sitting in like a small little pocket of Africa that the world is a big place and that there is more to be seen. There's still more to be explored. There's still more to do. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean that every person gets to, you know, go to the moon. We might, who knows? But <laughs> hey, they're, working on it. they're working on it. Exactly. But, but just knowing that the world is a big place and that the things to see, people to meet and, you know, stories to tell is pretty good, right? Like a, it's a good way to live, I suppose. I think so. Yeah, we agree. So thank you again. Chatting. Yes, likewise. Arigato. <laughs> I'll take it for what that is worth. <laughs> you don't get complicated with me. You could have just said like, okay, Nilam. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese. Just one word. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I know someone who listens to this might might enjoy it and like who knows what people will take from something like this and 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 knowing that you can cross boundaries and cross countries and and still be able to contribute in different parts of the world that's pretty fantastic and not just think about where you were raised alone that's important mm -hmm. yeah hopefully they'll be entertained and uh maybe even learn something who knows <laughs> who knows <laughs> but thank you again scott take care yep bye thank you for listening to part two of neelam's interview with scott brills now, just a reminder, you can find part one in episode six of Words and Voices. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says... Be good to you.